0: Hello and welcome to the Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is your host, Chris Shelton. Welcome back to the show, and thank you for inviting me into your home for this week. We are going to talk about Will Smith, Scientology, and Violence. Uh, That's what I thought I might approach the subject this week. It has been two weeks, uh, as I sit here recording this, that since, uh, or about two weeks, since uh, this famous, infamous slapping incident at the Oscars here, uh, the Oscar ceremonies where Will Smith went up and... Uh, slapped Chris Rock for telling a joke about his wife, about Will Smith's wife. And um, there were various uh, efforts. There was, you know, there was some talk about how Will Smith was a Scientologist or had been a Scientologist and how that had influenced him in such a way that he thought or condoned violence or thought violence was a good solution and you know because David Miscavige is a violent person and treats his underlings badly and physically abuses them, then it is thought that perhaps this is some teaching of Scientology. So I thought I would try to bring this up set you know set a few things straight. We talked about this last week in my um, critical conversations live stream show which we do every Friday. But uh, that is a small audience show, and I thought that the podcast reaches a few more people, and maybe some of you out there might not watch that, sh- my other shows, or see this, and w- might, might want this information about Will Smith and uh, Jada Smith and and the whole situation there, because they were indeed Scientologists, and uh, they're not now, but they were, and uh, that very much was an influence in their life, as we'll go over. But it did not, I do not believe, uh, it was not a direct connected influence to uh, this whole slapping incident. Yet, and here's the funny part, uh, at least as far as this podcast goes, is I'm going to make this point about Will Smith, but then I'm also going to read from the scriptures of Scientology to show how violence is absolutely condoned within the world of Scientology and especially within what's called the C organization, which is sort of the the Vatican or core, you know, like the Catholic Church has the Vatican in Rome where it's like the hardcore, you know, the principal outfit that kind of runs the whole show is in the Vatican. Well, the same applies with Scientology with the C organization. It is a paramilitary full-time outfit. People who join the C organization are there all the time. That's all they do. They don't have holidays, they don't have time off, they don't have weekends off, they don't have houses, they they live on Sea Org bases, they dress in Sea Org uniforms, they, they eat Sea Org food, and they only pretty much relate with other Sea Org members. It's a very cloistered, closed-off kind of bubble world, and it was something that I was part of for 17 years, so I can speak with authority and experience on the topic of Scientology and the Sea Org. Uh, I was involved with Scientology for significantly longer, but the Sea Org part of my experience was uh, from 1995 until 2012. So uh, I'm going to read from some of the confidential uh, scriptures, you could say. I I say that with a knowing wink, because Scientology is far from a benevolent uh, religion, even though it is recognized as a religion in, in the United States and a few other places in the world, but it is far from a turn the other cheek religion, we'll put it that way. And uh, Hubbard had a few things to say about the topics of uh, getting your job done no matter what and that kind of thing. And like I said, we'll go over that, but first let's go ahead and clarify what's up with Will and Jada Smith because um, because apparently there's some of y'all don't know that they were Scientologists and then they left Scientology and we don't have all of I, I don't have you know direct access to them uh, but I do have access to information behind the scenes information about them and about the whole situation and Tony Ortega has done some uh, some pretty pretty uh, good stories on this and has and has laid it all out in detail and we we're going to go over some of that today because the um, the history of Scientology and the Smiths goes back to the mid or 2000s when um, what we know for sure and you can actually even look this up online is will and Jada Smith opened up a Scientology based school. And Will Smith invested well over a million dollars in the management and care of this school. They leased the property. It was called the New Village Leadership Academy. And of course, academy is is a word in Scientology that's popular because that is the name of the course rooms. That are that deliver all of the major Scientology services, the auditing and tra- and training. Sorry, the training services where you learn how to do Scientology, and you learn how to be a Scientology counselor, and you learn all the advanced stuff of Scientology. That all happens in a course room that is called the Academy. And uh, and that's that's just the name for it. So you know, just maybe coincidence, maybe not. But New Village Leadership Academy was uh, using Elron Hubbard's brand of what is called study technology. That's the that's the trademark name for it. It is a methodology that I have broken down in detail on this podcast in earlier episodes. I've gone on a whole roll breaking it all down what happens in a Scientology Academy, what is study tech, what do they do with it, Uh, all of that very fully explained. And I will post a link to that uh, podcast in the description section to this video on YouTube and then the show notes on my uh, Sensibly Speaking site. So you can reference that podcast. It's pretty extensive. Study technology is uh, basically summarized pretty simply as... Uh, an extreme degree of importance put upon the definitions of words and how when you're studying something, you must understand all the words. And that means diving into dictionaries and looking up and using the words in sentences across all the definitions that, that the word has. So, um, and, and then it also involves using um, bits of pieces or clay. Little, little bits of pieces or or pieces of clay to demonstrate principles, uh, study principles, things you're trying to learn. If you're trying to learn about a car, maybe you might end up doing a demonstration with little paper clips and rubber bands and things. Or you might make out of uh, clay an engine, right, and all the different parts of the engine, put it all together. And such an exercise would help clarify for you as a student— what an engine is and how it goes together, right? So that's a demonstration, and that's also part of study technology. And then finally, there is a point about how you must follow a a, uh, a, a an even. What's called a gradient or a gradient approach to learning, where you don't, you know, you don't overwhelm a person all at once with everything. You give it to them gradually, step by step, piece by piece. And and if you go, if you if you go too far too fast or go too much and overwhelm a person, then of course they're not gonna do well in their studies. And that's part of the study technology. All of this was actually created by people who were not named L. Ron Hubbard. He simply took these ideas that were given to him or that he saw and copied, and he turned it into this branded thing called study tech, but it's really something he ripped off from other people. And it is, um, as I mentioned in the podcast, it is dialed up to 11, like everything with cults. It's very extreme. It's, it's, it, Hubbard's claims about study technology are, are hyperbolic in the extreme. For example, he says that the only reason a person will give up study or stop studying or, or fail at study is because they don't understand the words that they're reading, and that is just not true. There are lots and lots of reasons why people have difficulty in study, leave study, that have nothing to do with the definitions of words. But L. Ron Hubbard insisted that that is the case, and therefore all Scientologists believe it. And I am um, very highly trained in the study technology of Scientology because I was a person who ran an academy. I ran a Scientology classroom for many, many, many years, well over a decade. So um, anyway, so that is uh, Scientology study tech. And Will and Jada Smith opened up a school and paid for it, and it went on for years using this study technology as the key part of how they taught their curriculum. And they also employed a number of Scientologists on site at the school, including the school administrator and principal. They were Scientologists, and they were absolutely using not only Scientology study technology, but also Scientology ethics and justice actions were carried out there and the Scientology way of organizing the place. Scientology has a whole administrative system of organization that is all based around L. Ron Hubbard's teachings, and it's pretty silly and it's pretty goofy stuff, which is why I'm sure this school ended up closing down in 2013. Um, But while it was open, it was using L. Ron Hubbard's tech and administrative practices, you could say. So um, so this was a full Scientology operation, uh, but it was, like I said, funded and created by Will and Jada Smith. Now, why would they do something like that? Well, of course, they did that because they thought it was good stuff. So good. In fact, they had their own kids attend this school. It was a private uh, school. Um, it was in Calabasas, California. And For three years, he leased the property Will Smith did for $890,000, restructuring it from a high school to a private elementary school, and um, this was in Calabasas, California. Uh, now they were saying, and the weird thing about this and this thing that was not really totally upfront about all of this from the get-go, is that will and Jada were claiming that they were not Scientologists, that this wasn't a Scientology school that this, you know, it was they were they were saying all the things that were the exact opposite of the truth of their of the reality of the situation, right? And this was a this was, as I consider it as I see it, I think they were doing that for PR purposes. I think their PR team uh, had it pretty clear in their heads that Scientology was toxic and not acceptable by or accepted by the public. And that if the Will and Jada said that they were Scientologists or said that they were, you know, hardcore and into it, and this is what this was all about, and they thought L. Ron Hubbard knew what he was talking about. And they were fully on board with it, along with Tom Cruise and John Travolta, that they would have negative consequences in their careers and in their professional life. And of course, that's true. That's absolutely true, because people know now, especially, that Scientology is toxic and very, very bad for you. Uh, So they tried to run the route of, oh, no, 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 that's not what this is. Oh, no, 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 it's all good. Uh, And they were lying through their teeth, and there's really no other word to use. They were lying. So um, and as far as I can tell, to this day, they still lie about their Scientology involvement. Um, For example, I have information that indicates that uh, Jada, for example, was extremely hardcore. And again, you can refer to Tony Ortega's reporting on this. He's he's, he's, uh, done a number of stories on this topic. And um, and it's been and it's pretty clear that Jada was involved enough that she was up doing Scientology Academy services, which means she was doing actual training on Scientology methodologies and techniques that were not just the low-level, street-level communications class, or way to happiness, or how to you know improve your marriage or something. They have low-level. Introductory classes, but it's it was it was uh, the, the the things that I've been told indicate that they were much further along in their Scientology training progress than just some introductory classes. Now, Will apparently is somebody who's a bit of a seeker and searcher and spiritual, you know, enthusiasting, very curious and goes from place to place and samples things and looks at things and is always trying to figure things out and see how best to approach life, and I think he looks at all of these things as a bit of a smorgasbord to choose and pick from. Well, that's exactly the opposite attitude that you can have as a Scientologist, which is why I'm pretty sure that they they eventually got out, and good on them for doing so, Uh, but I just don't appreciate the lies. And, uh, and and knowing what I know and having experienced what I experienced with Scientology, I know that there are lies there because you, you're not half in and half out of Scientology. When you are a Scientologist, you are all Scientologists, and you're not anything else. The, 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 the demands of Scientology are such that it's very exclusive. They want full control of your spiritual destiny, they don't want you playing the, the numbers or mixing and matching or going off and doing what they call in Scientology other practices or being what they call externally influenced by outside things. Scientology is a cloistered bubble world, and they want you fully in it. And apparently for a few years, you know, the Smiths were. Uh, You do not pay millions of dollars and open up a Scientology school and send your kids there unless you are absolutely adamantly connected with and believing in L. Ron Hubbard's Scientology technology. And uh, I use that term very loosely, but that's the word they use in Scientology for the the techniques and methods. So they were fully on board and uh, now they're not and they got out. And by 2015, I understand is uh, when they were definitely out um, so we have years of, of of being out of that situation. The school closed in 2013. By the way, Surrey Cruise went to this school, too, uh, starting in 2009. So the, the cruises were connected with this place, not financially, apparently, other than paying for Surrey's schooling. And Um, as I understand it, it, what we have here that federal, federal tax filing showed that Will Smith donated 1.2 million to the school in 2010, um, as well as leasing the campus and covering the utility costs and everything. And it was, um, it was run privately pre-K through grade six was what the school was teaching. And the, um, I had it here somewhere, I think. The, yeah, here it is. The tuition was $22,500, and 80% of the students did receive some degree of financial assistance. Uh, the director of learning, director of qualifications, and artistic director were all Scientologists, as well as some of the teachers. Um, they had been Scientology staff members in the past. So, um, so this was not a, you know, just just erase any kind of idea that there was a casual connection with Scientology or, oh, that was something they were doing in addition to other things. We all know Scientology is very, very uh, all or nothing. So um, anyway, so that was their involvement with this school. And and knowing all of this, we now know that uh, that means that they were definitely Scientologists. Now, um, what got them out? Don't know, not sure. Right? Could have been a number of things. Um, apparently, Jada was a little bit more hardcore than Will. But um, but what we do know for sure, and I mean for absolute sure, is that they are totally out of Scientology now. And the reason that we know that we can we can say that with absolute surety because. Um, after Leah Remini got out of Scientology and started speaking out publicly about it, she called out Will and Jada and ended up apologizing for that because she went on Jada's show, which is, I think, called The Red Table or something like that. It's a, it's a YouTube show where she interviews people at a red table with uh, Jada and her mother. And they had Leah on her show after Leah had gotten out of Scientology. Now, you do not do that. Under any circumstances whatsoever, there is no way under any sun, moon, or stars that any Scientologist would ever publicly interview Leah Remini, Uh, laugh, accept an apology, have a nice conversation with, and that's exactly what Jada Smith did. So uh, there is no way, no way. That they are still Scientologists. Uh, that's just, those two things just don't go together. So, um, so that's why we know that they're totally out. Okay. Now getting to the, um, Well, getting to the violence now, right? Uh, Here we have Will Smith getting up because he's, uh, because his wife gets pissed about some stupid joke that Chris Rock tells. And there has been so much talk and back and forth and reporting and, and, and updates and this and that about it. At this point, I think today as I'm recording this, Will Smith has been banned from attending the Oscars for like 10 years, and he's um, uh, resigned from the Academy as far as his membership goes there, which really only means he's not voting on movies anymore. It doesn't mean he's not going to act, but this has also professionally tanked some of his projects, and he apparently is now in some kind of a rehab facility getting some help for uh, clearly you know, with uh, what we saw there, not only with the violence, but the speech that he gave after when he won for best actor <laughs> uh, was that uh, he is a troubled person. That guy has some emotional uh, difficulties right now. He has definitely got some some pressures on him that he is not uh, dealing well with. And I guess the rehab and the work that he's doing now is all an effort to try to address that and get his head on straight with, with uh, whatever's going on with him. And I have no inside knowledge on what that might be, but it's clearly there. And anybody who has any degree of of uh, training or knowledge about psychology or, or you know, emotion and that kind of thing. I mean, you can just see it all over his face. So, um, so I hope that he gets the help that he wants and needs and that he comes out better for it um, and comes back around. And maybe at some point he can, um, you know, actually, sincerely, honestly uh, deal with his relationship or whatever with Chris Rock. But Will Smith clearly has some sorting out to do. And uh, the state of the marriage is whatever it is. I'm not going to necessarily comment on that, but I do see. For me, I my my I guess you could say my spidey senses go off a little bit when I see him and Jada together, and I see Jada and some of the things that she has said on record and have been uh, difficulties they've had with their marriage over the years. Uh, her cheating on him, for example, that kind of thing. Well, I guess when they were separated for a while, she slept with somebody else, and. Um, I just, I just get that there's something maybe not so great about that relationship, and maybe that's um, kind of on her part. But you know, that's all from a from a very external outside view, uh, and I really, you know, it's whatever. That's just sort of conjecture what's not conjecture is violence in Scientology. And so I wanted to kind of phase over here to talk about this for a little bit, because this is a topic worth talking about. And it was interesting to me that Googling this and looking into some of it prior to doing this podcast today, I came across an academic paper by some idiot who wrote up, uh, did a a Google search on uh, violence in Scientology. And and did some kind of systemic, systematic review and wrote up a paper saying that there's really no evidence that in L. Ron Hubbard's writings or in any of the testimonials or witness accounts from. Former members, which this man clearly just invalidated and said we're, you know, all of us survivors and what we have to say, this was one of those idiot academics who just says, well, we can't be believed, so screw us, and uh, didn't take up any uh, testimonials from ex-members and flat out ignored them, in other words. Uh, This is very, very dishonest academic work and research. And in fact, it's worthless academic research is what it really is. But I, having the knowledge and experience I have, I'm going to point you to a couple of points that Hubbard wrote, where which were used in my life, in my experience, uh, to justify rampant and blatant violence and fighting and uh, abuse, physical and psychological abuse within the C organization on a daily basis. Violence in the Sea Org was common and routine. It is not an every, you know, not, a, not an every hour, every day kind of thing. But when a mission rolls into town, when heavy duty executives come on the base, when pressure is on, when things are tight, when tempers are flaring, violence springs up all the time in the Sea Org, and you will see Sea Org members beating up on each other or seniors beating on their juniors um, often enough that it is, I would say, a systemic problem. Um, And all of this is justified within the world of the Sea Org by the mission, by what it is that they need to get done. They're saving the world, and it doesn't matter how many people they got to beat up to do it. Or you know, as as Peacemaker, the uh, sort of satirical uh, comic book uh, comic hero from uh, the, in the the, the recent uh, Suicide Squad and James Gunn series on Peacemaker. Uh, Peacemaker's motto is, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna." Uh, save the world uh, no matter how many people I have to kill to do it, you know, something like that, right? I'm going to make the world a better place no matter how many people I have to kill. It's kind of, I bring that up because uh, that's pretty much exactly the attitude of the Sea Org, see, is they don't they don't count the costs in broken bones or bodies uh, when it comes to getting their mission accomplished. And this, of course, is Cultic Thinking 101, right? The mission and the group and the and the endeavor are far, far, far more important than any one individual or their well-being. And um, if you have to break a few eggs to make that omelet, well, that's just what you got to do. Uh, and this was explained to us over and over again at briefings and at musters, and we were read L. Ron Hubbard's. Words about this in such a way as to encourage us to have this attitude. Uh, you know, if somebody's getting in your way or stopping you from doing what you're doing, you are perfectly justified in beating them up or pushing them out of the way or getting violent and physical with them if you need to in order to get your job done. That's the attitude in the C organ. And, and let me give you a couple of uh, references on this. Now, in Scientology, you have a lot of different writings from L. Ron Hubbard, uh, different types of issues that have different levels of confidentiality. It's not only the Xenu story and the OT levels, the upper level confidential counseling levels, that are, con- that are confidential in Scientology. There's a ton of stuff in Scientology that never sees the light of day. You've never seen, you can't find on the internet, it's not posted anywhere, or it's really hard to find. And you gotta kinda know what you're looking for to zero in on it because it doesn't come up very easily in let's say a Google search. And the C organization and the policies governing the C organization are all confidential within the world of Scientology. Most Scientologists, most paying public Scientologists, and even city level staff members who work for Scientology don't see, don't know about, and never and don't even have access to the C organization's policies and issues. Those issues, those written bulletins and the lectures that Ron Hubbard gave for the Sea Org are all sort of just within the Sea Org. And these are called flag orders, central bureau orders, executive directives. There are various names or types of issues that Hubbard wrote. Flag orders are the senior Sea Org policies. Um, in all of Scientology, you have policy letters, uh, that are called, that are green ink on white paper. And those are the most senior issues for all Scientology organizations. And those do apply to the Sea Org, just like they do to the staff members. But the flag orders are just for the Sea Org. And I'm going to read to you from a flag order. And this might be one of the reasons why academics or reporters or media people who go looking for this stuff have a hard time finding it because they don't know what I just told you, right? That there are different issue types and some of them are confidential and very few of them have actually leaked out of the church onto the internet. This is one of them. So I get to read it to you. There are others that we were read that I, I couldn't find and, I, and I, I can only you know talk about it from my memory. But this one is a flag order 2710. Okay, that means that, that there were thousands of flag orders. That's numbered 2710. They're numbered sequentially. So, this was dated 27 January 1971. The Sea Org started in 1967. So, between 67 and 71, Hubbard wrote thousands of issues governing the policies for the Sea Org. There's an extensive library of these flag orders. These are not just a few issues. This one is called Hardworking People Ethics Protection. And I'm going to read bits from it. People who work hard have ethics protection. Now, ethics in Scientology is, not, is a part of the organization that deals with discipline and punishment and how things are supposed to go. So ethics is a very important word in Scientology. If you have ethics protection, that means that you're protected, you're not going to get in trouble or get disciplined uh, for doing maybe bad things or things that might not necessarily be per policy because you're getting your job done and you're working hard. So people who work hard have ethics protection at least that's what Hubbard writes. The truth was that nobody had ethics protection. You could get in trouble anytime for anything. But Hubbard liked to give people the idea that they could work really, really hard and get their job done and they'd be protected. He said it over and over again. And he uh, broke that promise over and over again as the commander of the Sea Org when he was in charge. But this is what he wrote. He said, people who have hard work, uh, work hard, have ethics protection. Time and again, okay, time and again, somebody who raises a fuss trying to get his job done and his lines in has been criticized or chopped at. In many cases, I have had to intervene to give them ethics protection. Um, People who are just going to skip through some of the more weighty, there's a lot of terminology in here I don't want to necessarily have to define for you guys, but he says basically that it will be a court of ethics offense, in other words, you're going to get disciplined. Uh, it to impede a Sea Org member or staff member who is trying to get his job done, okay? So if you got some guy who's trying to get his job done and somebody else coming along and telling him why it can't be done or stopping him from, from doing his job for some reason, that person, that stopper, that impeder is going to get in trouble, Um People who are inactive and do not make a row when impeded, but are merely quiet, are liable to a court of ethics for being inactive on a charge of neglect of duty. Okay, so if you're quiet, inactive, you do not make a row, Hubbard says. You are liable to court of ethics. Now, this was read to us out loud at a base briefing one night, after a couple of staff members had gotten into a physical altercation on the base. And this was a big, this this was a kind of a thing. The staff members had been fighting. One of them ended up on top of the other, punching on him. I think he almost broke this guy's nose. And the RTC representative, the person who uh, was basically just a couple steps down from David Miscavige, the head of Scientology, came and did this base briefing, and he, and he briefed all of us at the big blue facility using this policy, this flag order, to justify why it was completely okay that this fight had happened, and he wanted to see more of that because he was using this fight as an example of how somebody was trying to stop somebody else from getting their job done, and this guy didn't put up with it. And he beat this guy up because he wasn't putting up with it. And that was perfectly okay. That was actually uh, desired behavior. So everybody on the base got the message loud and clear that you got to beat up on somebody, push somebody around, get physical with them. It's okay. And actually even encouraged. Uh, Hubbard says, right, you make a row, The ideal scene is not a mortuary where everyone is quiet. Persons who want such a scene are unable to confront motion and emotion. Causing a fuss or exhibiting temper while trying to get action is not a chargeable offense. We are not in the behavior business. We will leave that to others. It is of exactly no concern, whatever, that two staff members or Sea Org members clash in trying to do their jobs. If physical violence were to result, then damaging a Sea Org member might possibly be charged if any serious damage occurred. That two people are cross with each other is of no consequence, whatever. It is not a legitimate zone for any ethics or executive interference. That someone is too frightened or too dull to make a fuss when his job is impeded is actionable under neglect of duty. We have in the past erred a few times in accepting complaints against persons who were trying to do their jobs and had gotten unpopular, and we spent a long time undoing the trouble caused. At this time, after great experience, when a complaint is filed against certain persons who do get their jobs done, the interest it gets is that the filer can't confront confusion or emotion and needs a few drills. So you see some guy pushing other people around, you get hit, clobbered, side, you know, sideswiped by some guy who's doing his job. You issue a report saying, hey, this guy's clobbering me, beating people up. You're the one who's going to get investigated. That is Scientology policy. So, and this is just one of many, right? Uh, It is true (laughs) That a cemetery or a morgue are restful places. They require no confronting. They don't produce anything worthwhile either. Uh, I can think of nothing sillier than an inscription reading. We all revere Anthony Brown. He was quiet and polite as the ship went down. So... Hubbard was very, very much of the opposite, uh, you know, mode of thinking. Now, obviously, I know some of you out there who have maybe been on a boat or have been in tough situations or conflict-driven situations might think that, you know, violence and conflict is uh, necessary and and important and a necessary tool and toolkit. If you have somebody in, say, an emergency situation where uh, things are about to be upended or, you know, bad things are about to happen, and you might need to yell and scream a little bit to get people moving and get going and stuff like that. I'm willing to give a little bit as far as that goes, but as I just read to you, this is all about getting the job done. This is not even about emergencies. This could be on a completely calm, normal day. Everything's fine. But here's some guy who's getting his job done and he's not going to be stopped or impeded by anybody. And somebody comes along and says, hey, man, you you, you know, there's there's policy says you can't do that or, you know, some other reason why this isn't going to work right now and ends up getting a punch in the face, you know, by this by this asshole. And uh, that's the that is exactly the kind of uh, behavior that is encouraged in the sea organ is one of the reasons why David Miscavige feels justified in beating on people in order to exert his will to them, right? It's not just some random David Miscavige idea. It is literally in the scriptures of Scientology to do that. So I thought I would share some of this with you so that you knew uh, directly from L. Ron Hubbard's mouth uh, not just mine, right, that this is a reality. And I can tell you from 17 years of living in the Sea Org and experiencing that kind of brutality, that this kind of thing was commonplace. And I was assaulted in the Sea Org, and I was psychologically and physically uh, manipulated and beaten on and punished. It happened all the time, right? So, um, So it's not a you know, you, you, can, you can go read all of the press releases from Scientology about how they never touch anybody and everything is wonderful and this best of all possible Scientologies and, and we would never, ever do anything like that. Or you can actually just read what L. Ron Hubbard says and listen to people who actually lived it and had enough sense to get out of there and get away from that and sort of like, you know, depressurize from that incredibly pressurized and horrible situation. And you can see that some of us are telling the truth and are saying, hey, this is really bad, you know, or you can be an academic and stick your head in the sand and think that Scientology is wonderful. And what's the problem? So anyway, just thought I'd set the record straight on that. So I hope that this had um, some, you know, use to you in terms of clarifying some of the Will Smith situation and also clarifying why it is not, you know, it's not a question of whether there is violence in Scientology. The question is, why is there violence in Scientology? And I hope this podcast helps answer that question, uh, you know, because it's it's pretty clear that there's violence in Scientology because L. Ron Hubbard said that there should be violence in Scientology. And David Miscavige, Miscavige took him at his word and ran with it. And there you go. So uh, thanks for coming around and watching this uh, shorter podcast this week. It's uh, I think we're only going about 40 minutes or so, but thanks for coming around and listening to this. And um, I am wide open to any suggestions or comments or feedback you guys have as to more, you might wanna hear or know about this, questions you might have about it. And of course, I can take those up on my Q&A or we can do whole podcasts about it. So anyway, I look forward to your feedback. I will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.